Welcome to FedSpeak, brought to you by M&I Market News. I'm Pedro DaCosta, and I'm pleased to introduce today's special guest, Thomas Honig. Dr. Honig is the former president of the Kansas City Fed, which he led from 1991 through 2011, and he's also the former chair of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tom. It's good to be with you, Pedro. I'm uh, happy, happy to uh, join you and see what questions you have. Well, I want to start. You headed the Kansas City Fed for two decades, as I mentioned, during which time you were the de facto host of the Kansas City Fed's annual Jackson Hole Symposium. And I'm heading off to Wyoming for that conference next week. So I wanted to bring you on this week specifically to give us a sneak preview into what we might be hearing from Chair Powell and some of the presenters as well and to discuss other big picture issues in monetary policy like the path of interest rates, quantitative tightening, and risks to economic growth and financial stability. So why don't we start with, with Jackson Hole? Chair Powell will give the keynote speech, of course, and markets are wondering whether he'll signal some kind of pivot after the softening in the CPI that we had in July. What do you think his central message is likely to be? Well, that's a that's kind of a guessing game. I would not expect him to signal, given that they've indicated they want to be flexible and um, they're going to look at the data and so forth. So I wouldn't expect him to be signaling, to be honest with you. The, um, in fact, in his last conference, I think that's pretty much laid out their, their future. They want to wait for the new data. They've had the August data. Now they're going to wait for the September data. I'm going to assume they're going to look carefully at the CPI when it comes out, and they're going to look carefully at the unemployment rate, and they'll make some judgments around that. Uh, but I, I just can't imagine they've made up their mind at this point. And when you read the minutes that just came out, uh, you've become more convinced of that. I think that there are somewhat different views, uh, apparently, and um, they're going to have to wait. And they're going to have to be in a wait and see uh, posture. Uh, in my opinion. No, that makes sense. I mean, having been somewhat burned before by promising 50 and then having to deliver 75, they're loath to corner themselves at this point into anything very specific. I was wondering what you make of the conference theme. It's called reassessing constraints on the economy and policy. I know it's hard to predict, you know, what's actually going to be presented, but what's your reading of that theme and what would you expect from the research presentations? Well, I think that they are going to be covering both the supply and demand side, constraints in terms of the supply side. You have many things going on in the world. What kind of disruptions they will bring? What would that mean for the economy? And then constraints on how you conduct your policy. Uh, you've got international constraints. I mean, currency values uh, are an issue. Uh, and how, how are we going to deal with that would be something. Uh, policy itself, monetary policy itself, when you have this high inflation, how quickly do you try and bring it down? And do you want to be careful? And is, is one of your constraints, you don't want to disrupt financial stability? Would that be a constraint? Uh, and would the uh, uncertainties around that be a constraint? So those are the sorts of things that have to come in. I'm going to uh, hypothecate in terms of the discussions that come forward from the floor and from the presenters. Let's talk about inflation itself. Were you comforted by the 8.5% CPI rating for July, or perhaps if I could put it a little bit more cynically, 
What does it say about the state of the economy when markets are relieved by that kind of a number? Well, I think, first of all, they should not be relieved by that kind of a number. I mean, it, it came down because energy came down, which from very high levels, the core was year over year was pretty much unchanged. Uh, other elements of it, food was higher. Eight and a half percent is not something to be comfortable about. It's very, it's a very significant uh, high for inflation. It's a very significant regressive tax on the consumer and the public. And I don't think there should be any comfort in eight and a half percent inflation. If they're assuming that that's an indication that it's going to come down, I think, I hope they're right. I don't see any evidence that they're right at this point. Uh, wage, wages are still rising. Uh, we still have price increases that we see in food and so forth. Yes, commodities have come down somewhat, but how long uh, and how much of an impact that will have, uh, we don't know. Housing is slowing, but rents are still very high. So I think they're a little bit ahead of themselves uh, in terms of this being an indication we're going to be at 2% anytime soon. And if we can talk about the pace of rates, rate hikes themselves, I mean, they just delivered two 75 basis point rate hikes. They hadn't done even a single one since, I think, 1994, right? Do you think that there's room for slowing down? The minutes did, did suggest that a slowdown might be appropriate at some point, but we don't know what point that is. Well, I think the, the, the idea of bringing a rate down from 75 to 50 is out there, obviously, uh, because uh, number one is being talked about in the market. Uh, but I also think that it's somewhat dependent on the September numbers for inflation and for unemployment. I personally think at eight and a half percent, you you are not um, you are not in a tight policy. Now, I say that knowing that going from a quarter point to two and a quarter points is a very significant change, but the level itself is um, not what I call overly tight in in our economic system. Now, the market has to adjust to that. The economy, the real economy, has to adjust to that. But I think that by itself would not bring inflation down to any significant degree in a short period of time. Now, the markets were so relieved, it seems, by the 8.5% reading of inflation that we got that financial conditions have actually eased since then. Stock markets have rallied, you know, surprising many. Credit spreads have really fallen. And I wonder if this makes the Fed's job harder. Well, I think it, it does uh, because it's a little, it's a statement in one sense of the markets. Um, I should say as a, a statement in a sense of the Fed's perceived credibility in the market. The Fed is saying inflation is our number one goal. We have to bring it down towards 2%. I think everyone's unanimous on that. And yet there is this view that they will reverse fairly quickly and that when you look at those minutes and the discussions, even after the uh, meeting, last meeting, there's this desire to not have to do uh, 75 or 100 basis points again for fear of the disruption it might cause. So the market is looking at that as much as they are the statement that bringing inflation down is important. And I think that's where you're getting the, the disconnect with what is being said and what the market's doing. 
And I think that has to be dealt with going forward. That's a really good point. And there seems to be a disconnect, as you mentioned, between what the market sees as a pivot, which is a pivot from rate hikes to, you know, rate cuts pretty soon thereafter. And there seemed to have been some pushback recently from Fed speakers who were saying, no, we're going to, when, when we pause, we're going to hold there for a while. I mean, they don't know how financial conditions are going to develop next year, but that's my sense is that they would like to hold rates at whatever that peak level is for some time. Yeah, and I think I think the, the committee members who speak, including the chairman, have to be careful because when they say two and a quarter is neutral or uh, suggest that, that may be true in a low inflation environment. But at eight and a half percent or eight percent or seven and a half percent, that's not the case. Uh, and I think you clearly have to have a more constrained policy. I understand wanting to build that constraint up, speaking of constraints, slowly, um, but you have to do it resolutely at the same time. And when you say kind of kind of give mixed messages, even through the minutes, the market's going to read it very favorably. And that's partly because the Fed has changed directions uh, fairly uh, consistently. I mean, in, before the pandemic, I mean, it, in the 2019 repo scare, it changed policies in the tw early in the late 2018 scare and then following that to change policy. So that's what the market's also relying on. So they have to become much more res resolute in saying we're going to have rates up there, whatever it is, 4%. Four and a half percent, and we're going to leave it there until we see inflation coming down far more than eight and a half percent, far more than seven percent. And when that message gets out, I think then the credibility will begin to build. Although there will be a greater risk of a downturn, and that's that's the risk you have to take when you have eight and a half percent inflation, because that that eight and a half percent inflation is doing incredible damage to the economy. And how persistent do you expect those price pressures to persist? Where do you think inflation is likely to end the year, for instance? Well, it's a guess. I mean, who knows? Uh, it depends on things happening in Europe, things happening in, uh, in China and between the U.S. and China and between Europe. There's so many factors that go into this. So you don't know. I would expect that as the economy slows, and it is slowing, uh, that the housing market is slowing, that you will see some reduction in excess demand, that you will get inflation to come down, perhaps uh, depending on what policies they follow. In other words, if they do raise rates 75 versus 50, you'll get a greater effect. So it depends on those factors. You can get inflation down to say six, six and a half percent by year end. But I think it would be great and also lucky if we were less than that. So where do you see in that context, where do you see rates peaking? You mentioned four, four and a half percent. Is that is that what you expect to happen or that's just what the Fed has signaled and that's, that's all we well, have? That's, that's kind of what the consensus is right now. I think that would be uh, relatively constraining on the economy. Um, and therefore it would bring it down. I don't know what speed it would bring it down because I don't know what this, 
the psychology of the market and the public is to that rate. Uh, but it it may in fact have to go higher if if the if the market is convinced they're going to reverse policy, then it may have to go higher. I mean, that's the life that the central bank leads right now. It has to convince the market that they are committed to that 2%, and that means committed to higher interest rates. You don't necessarily need a Volcker moment, but you do need a very deliberate, forceful position, and you have to stick with it. Now, on the macro side, you did mention the economy is slowing. The Fed seems to be holding on to the hope of a soft landing. Uh, markets also seem to be priced for perfection in that in that sense. How likely is it that Fed tightening, in your view, will push the economy into recession? Well, if they do it sufficiently to bring inflation down <laughs> substantially by the first or second quarter of next year, you have a fairly high probability of a recession. I, you know, I haven't gone back in time forever, but I haven't really witnessed too many adjustments with an inflation rate of eight and a half percent coming down to two percent without a recession. So I wish them luck. Now the thing they have going for them is the low unemployment rate. However, I've also seen unemployment rates change very quickly when people lose confidence. And that's the that's the tightrope they're walking, trying to bring it down, tighten sufficiently to bring it down without destroying confidence. I, I hope they're successful, but it is a tightrope. And I, I think the probabilities of a, of a recession are fairly high. I also wanted to ask you a couple of final questions about financial stability, especially given your role as a former bank regulator. What do you, do you think the Fed's uh, QT program, the, the, the balance sheet runoff, has been fully priced in to the markets? I, it, I know there is some discussions about a liquidity shortage in the global markets for treasuries and so forth. Um, and that, so there is an awareness of it, but I don't think the market has taken in the full effects if the Fed follows its QT plan over the next several months, a 90, 95 billion a month of letting stuff roll off is a tremendous withdrawal of liquidity. And I don't think that's appreciated as much as it should be yet. I think it is it will have a much bigger impact. It's only now starting to get to the 90 billion a month now. So we have that yet to really incorporate into the policy uh, actions that the Fed takes going forward. And I think it's not priced into the markets sufficiently at this point. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my my reaction to what I've seen so far. And are there other financial stability risks that keep you up at night? Folks talk about banks being well capitalized, but perhaps leverage outside the traditional banking system in the shadow banks. There's even risks from crypto and other assets, there was actually a fairly lengthy discussion of, of those that sector in the minutes yesterday. I wonder, you know, what, and there's, you know, there's financial conditions, there's the possibility of a, a crisis in Europe. I wonder what, uh, what tops your list? Well, I think if the Federal Reserve raises rates sufficiently to, to the four above 4% through the end of the year. 
if they do that, and if they stick to the quantitative tightening, then I think you will have pressures on asset values uh, and downward pressure on asset values of all kinds. And I think that's where the banks will feel the, the, the effects. I think it's not just in the shadow banks because the commercial banks, the largest commercial banks, and the, some of the largest regional banks fund the, that shadow banking sector, and that will come back on their, on their balance sheet. I know that the industry, and I think the regulators, maybe they say it to, to boost confidence, but they say the banks are well capital. The largest banks are so well capital, so much better capital. When you look at their leverage ratio, and you think about liquidity tightness, and you think about asset quality, their leverage ratio is 6%. That, that's not an overly impressive leverage ratio. Yes, the risk weighted is 13, whatever the number is. But uh, as we learned in the financial crisis, risk weighted capital become, become secondary in crisis. Only leverage matters and the leverage ratio matters. And I think 6% is marginal. It's, it's better than it was. It's better than 3%. It's better than 4%. And Europe is around 4%, by the way. So it's it will, I think, be tested if, if the economy runs into confidence issues, if the rates rise sufficiently that it does begin to pressure down asset values, then I think the test of adequate capital will be um, come will be forthcoming and it'll be an important time. I I think on the margin they're okay, but I think it, I would feel much more comfortable if they were substantially better, at least to eight or nine percent, but they're not. 